happy Sunday. Welcome, girlfriends. This is another episode of Girlfriends Talking, where your story matters. And today we're going to handle um, a sensitive topic for some people. We've received um, several messages uh, from people wanting to know how to co-parent, whether that be with a um, ex-husband, an ex-wife, or a partner, someone who is not married to the parents of uh, the child. And so today I'm excited to have Pastor Angel Cartagena, who happens to be a life coach, and he is going to be talking to us from a biblical perspective on how to co-parent. And so if you have not already done so, um, please tag a friend, share on your page. Um, if you've not um, liked our Girlfriends Talking page, make sure you like it, you um, follow it. And then also we are live on YouTube. So if you can't catch today's replay here on Facebook, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to YouTube so that you can get those reminders when we're on. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him on. Go ahead and uh, grab a cup of coffee, grab a drink, have a seat, get comfortable, and let's get ready to talk about co-parenting. Hi, Angel. How are you? Hey, Ramona. As always, uh, honored and thrilled to be uh, on Girlfriends Talking. I think what you're doing is tremendously important. And um, I know that you've been a source of encouragement to many of us, your brother in Christ. And so I, it's always gratifying to be here. Thank you. It's always a pleasure uh, to have you on the program. So um, I wanted to start by saying that um, today we may um, just kind of touch for a second on blended families, but we're going to leave that for another talk show because um, today is simply just co-parenting, right? And, uh, and we'll do another talk show on blended families. Um, so let's start by explaining um, what co-parenting is. Yeah, that's great. That's a great place to start. So the two terms I really want people to be aware of is parenting and co-parenting. Parenting is when you have two parents in the same home, under the same roof, a dad and a mom. Uh, whereas uh, co-parenting is when the parents of the children, the father and the mother, are living under separate roofs. Uh, and yet still have the responsibility of raising these children. I also want to make mention this doesn't include um, uh, solo parenting, right? Single parenting, which is a, a totally different approach and a totally different set of issues in many ways. And that might be, you know, another a topic for another day. But we yes. really want to deal with those situations where the parents of the children are living under separate situations. And for me, the reason that I like to always start with talking with about both of them, parenting and co-parenting, is by having two terms, we tempt people to somehow think in their mind that, that this is uh, different or they, um, you know, uh, it, it's a different set of rules or a different one. No, no, no. The, the problem with saying parenting, co-parenting is we make the mistake of thinking this is about the parents. Yes. This is about the kids. It's about yeah. the kids. And so the whole point is what co-parenting is about is two people realizing that regardless of whatever decisions they've made about their own lives, both individually and as a couple, the goals remain the same, which is how do we raise healthy, happy children? And one of the things I can say to people 
Um, as sad as it is for me to admit that, you know, after 26 years, my first wife and I got divorced and, um, and, uh, and, and of course, uh, in the midst of all that sadness and everything, the one thing I'm grateful for, and it's funny because even way early in our marriage, when we were having a period of difficulty, we went to a counselor and I remember the counselor saying, you guys are amazing which I thought was kind of a difficult, you know, a funny thing to say when we're sort of struggling. I said, how so? She said, because with everything else that you guys have going on between you and all the difficulties and the differences of opinions and everything, she said, the one area I find you are in complete agreement on is your son. We didn't have Jasmine yet, our daughter. So, uh, so that's the point I'm trying to make is regardless of which label you use or you're living under, whether you're parenting or co-parenting, you have the same obligation, raising healthy, happy children. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so let me start, actually, if it's okay with you, by talking about exactly what are the things that kids need, right? The first thing, there are three things. The first thing is they need a sense of security. Think about every Bible passage where God talks about us trusting him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, uh, acknowledge him and he will make your path clear. What is that about? Him saying, trust me, is him acknowledging we have that need for that security. And those of us who live at peace are those of us who believe in God and know that God's got this regardless of what's going on. So security is the first thing. The second thing they need is boundaries. It's the whole reason God gave us the law. He chose Israel, made Israel his, his one nation, and then basically says, okay, now that you are my chosen people, uh, Moses, come on up to the mountain because I'm going to give you what you need to live like my people. And so children need boundaries. And oftentimes, we listen, all the adults that I counsel as a pastoral counselor, oftentimes a large number of them are people who are in trouble because they never learned how to say yes to the things they're supposed to say yes to. And they've never learned how to say no to the things they're supposed to say no to. That's boundaries. And then the last thing is discipline. Every child needs discipline. But let me be very clear about something. Um, when we talk about disciplining a child, Oftentimes, where people's minds go to, you know, especially if you grew up in our neighborhood, is boy, go on and get there and get that switch, you know, and that's what we think about. But discipline actually starts way before that. The first thing that discipline requires is training and teaching, right? Uh, Proverbs 22 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And the first thing we need to do to dis discipline children is you actually got to teach them what the rules are. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later uh, in terms of raising kids. The second thing is they need a model to follow. This becomes incredibly important. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, the word says this, The righteous man leads a blameless, blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Notice it doesn't say ahead of him. Notice it doesn't say with him after him. That means that that righteousness that he's living, he is modeling for his children. And so, you know, don't 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 tell your child not to lie. And then when y'all go to the theater, it's like, oh, he he only 12 because you're trying to get him in as a kid still. You know, there's, there's a discrepancy there, Bubba. Come on now, help me out. And then the last thing uh, is um, 
not only uh, with reg or with regards to uh, uh, discipline is you you show them you training you model it for them, but then the last thing is correction. That there comes a time when you actually have to do something to correct them because they have not followed the training and the modeling that you've provided with them. And we can talk about you know later on in terms of I, here's the one thing I do want to make clear. Um, if spanking is something that you're open to, because we understand that creates, that opens the door to a whole lot of other legal problems. The one thing I would say is this, first of all, I am not talking about abuse. Don't you ever abuse a child. We, we know what it's like to have been abused by a parent. Okay. You don't want to go there. But the other thing is if spanking is something you're inclined to do, I would say that that should be the last resort that most times children are actually corrected just fine with the taking away of um, privileges uh, with some kind of sort of constructive. And here's what I say with, here's one of the things that I say with regards to parents, when it comes to disciplining your children, there should be a pause. And this is how it works out. If mom and dad are both in the house, this is how it used to work out in the first, believe it or not, even in that marriage that ended in divorce, it worked this way. I remember one time our son did something. Uh, he was in a basketball league. They lost their first game. He refused to get in line to shake hands with his, um, with with the opposing team. Not acceptable in my home. Good sportsmanship. Uh, both his mother and I were both athletes. We both played uh, team sports, and uh, that that is not acceptable. So when he got home, uh, what I said was, "Are so you going up in your room? Your mother and I are going to talk about this." And I'll be up with our decision. Now, right there, you just did something powerful because here's one of the here is one of the big lessons. In fact, let me let me uh, flag ahead of you. One of the lessons that that uh, parenting requires is agreement. You have to agree. Absolutely. Where the where, where law says where to agree on anything, I will grant it. You have to be in agreement. And listen to me. One of the one of the ways. That children, one of the ways that you know that the Bible is true, that all of us are born sinners, is children will play the divide and conquer game. Absolutely. They will, Absolutely. If they, they'll come to mommy first, and if they don't get the answer they want from mommy, they'll come to daddy, and they'll talk to you separately. They won't talk to you at the same time. But you undermine that by being committed that whenever these issues come up, children's requests, their discipline, anything like that, that the two of you are like, hold it, go to your corner. And then, you know, in the in the instance with the, the basketball situation, we sent them up to his room and we went in the kitchen, grab a cup of coffee, sat at the dining room table. It's like, what do we, you know, what do we do with him? And we came up with a constructive uh, punishment, um, which included apologizing to his teammates. Um, in the end, um, that pause is also helpful because it keeps you, you listen, you should never discipline in the moment. In anger. Yeah, that is when you do absolutely. the things that you will absolutely regret later on for the and you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Your Remember life. in the moment, pause. I had to learn that pause. Mm -hmm. Put that pause in there. And then once you've thought it out and you okay, this is really the best way to correct this, then you go ahead and correct them. So every child needs security, boundaries, and discipline. Now, the reason I'm going to actually focus quite a bit on what a child needs. Is because oftentimes, two adults who are supposed to be co-parenting 
don't co-parent because they are not thinking about the child's interests at that time, or even worse, no one's actually taught them what children need. And so because they are not uh, cognizant of the things that have to be done in order for this child to grow up healthy and happy, they're busy hating on each other and being difficult and being stupid with each other. I'm sorry. I know some of y'all not used to pastors using that kind of word, but it's stupid. Okay. It's stupid when people act like children, when they are supposed to be responsible for themselves and for their children. And so it becomes really important for us to all know what are the things that kids need because later on when we talk about the i'm going to give you three co-parenting rules when i give you the three co-parenting rules it will make total and complete sense now uh when i talk about what children need i actually wrote extensively about this and after doing research uh for a book i wrote called the success continuum i built for those of you who don't know about it i built a seven stage model based on biblical principles that shows how success evolves in a person's life. And what happens is in the first several stages, I show you the things that you should be getting in life. But then somewhere in the middle of the model, there's a break. And that break is you getting to the point where something happens to you and you figure out that you didn't get everything you were supposed to get to when you were growing up. And now you've got to address that, right? So the example I use in the book, uh, our parents did not teach us a thing about handling money. And I was terrible at handling money and it caused many issues in my first marriage. So what did I have to do? I finally had to teach myself how to handle money. And it meant, first of all, tearing up all my cards. So basically I had to live off of cash. And uh, that was a real challenge, but it taught me how to handle money so that eventually, let's look at how God works. Eventually I was responsible for a government agency budget of seven million dollars a year which listen it came in on time and under budget every single year that i was the director of that that commission so um so let's talk about what are the things that kids need now in the success continuum i talk about the fact that in each stage there are uh two dimensions and that's the same for childhood and the two dimensions for childhood are nurture and training now, nurture is the things that we do for our child that builds them up as a person, right? And so I'm going to list the five things and then kind of break it down for you. So the five things that every child needs to build uh, their self-esteem, their sense of self-worth is, first of all, you've got to teach them self-assuredness, how to be assured of themselves, how to be content with themselves, respect for authority, a work ethic, a sense of, trans, uh, of transcendence and uh, delayed gratification. So let me so let me explain. Let me first of all start by saying that where do I get this nurture thing? Uh, I actually got it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And starting at verse 11, the word of God says this. This is Paul talking to the Thessalonians. For you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. So how does a father deal with his own children? He says in the next verse, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You see that? A father is one who encourages, comforts, and urges. So what does that look like in terms of these five things that I gave you? Well, first of all, self-assuredness is about your self-esteem. It is about your sense of self-worth. And I, I'm just going to do this really quickly, but in Matthew 19, starting at uh, verse 13, I believe it is. 
yes, Matthew 19, starting at 13. The word of the Lord says as follows. Um, where is it? Oh, he says, then the little um then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, here's the three things that Jesus did to build up their self-assurance, right? The first thing he did was he accepted them. Um, one of the things in our generation, uh, one of the things that was really difficult was your dad coming home, sitting down in the living room chair, opening up his, his newspaper, and here you are, you want to connect with him, and you want his love and you want his affection and he's put up this wall between you because remember oftentimes we grew up in households where you were you know if daddy's sitting there reading his newspaper don't you dare go near him don't you dare interrupt him and the one challenge i have for men as biblical fathers is why would you make reading of the newspaper your priority rather than connecting your front with your children when you get home there's nothing i loved more than coming home and seeing that little boy with his arms stretched like that, or that little girl with arms stretched up like that, and you just pick them up and take them in your arm. Hi, give him a kiss. Hi, sweetie. How are you doing? Hi, son. How are you today? Did you have a good day? And that's important to them because it makes them feel accepted. The modern version that I see with this, and I can't relate to this at all, but there is something about this generation of young men that uh, they are almost wired to these video consoles and we'll sit here playing video games. And I've, you know, I've seen instances with certain family members, I ain't gonna say who they are, pushing their kids away because they're like, they're in the middle of this game. And it's like, you know, I don't care what it is, whether you like, uh, you know, there was a period of time when I used to like coming home, watching Sports Center for a while, whether it's video games, whether it's your newspaper, I don't care what it is. It's okay for you to like those things, but not first, not before your kids. And so accept your kids. Notice how Jesus was, no, 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 let the kids come. The second thing he did was that he affirmed them. So he accepted them and then he affirmed them. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And of course, we know later on, he says, whoever doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven like a child ain't going to enter. You're not coming in unless you have the heart of a child. So what does that say? Jesus just took what in that society, in Jewish society, Children were the very least of these, that the whole seen and not heard thing. And he places them at the top. He makes them the model. He says, if you don't enter the kingdom like one of these, forget about it, as we say in Jersey. <laughs> You're not coming in. And so he affirms their value. And so one of the things that our children need, listen, it's one of the, one of the few, let me tell you something, one of the few things that will still tempt me to violence. I'm not kidding you. I'm saying this as a pastor. I got to pray hard is when I'm at a store somewhere and I hear an adult, even though it's their child, tell that child, shut up. I just want to leap over. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm mean, hold up. Hold on. Let me, let me take like, my hoops off. I just want to leap over uh, my uh, carriage and I just want to, you know, and I'm just like, Lord. and so the whole time I'm like, Lord Jesus, please let me just remind me that that was probably. And here's what will calm me down is I always remind myself, this is probably how they were treated when they were children. Mm -hmm. 
And, and, and unfortunately, they have not seen that and not grasped the importance of it to the point where they realize where they realize they have to break the chain. Yes. Right. We have to break the chain between the unhealthy things that we experience as kids and not doing it so that our kids experience those things. We have to break the chain. And so and so he he accepts them, he affirms them. And then the last thing is he shows them affection. Right. When he had placed his hands on them, there is something. Listen, this is very important. There is something about non-sexual affectionate touch, appropriate touch that uh, is very important to human development and human sense of self-worth. Quickly, uh, there was a study done. uh Man, maybe well over a century where uh, there was a whole unit of babies at a hospital and the doctor said to the nurses, hey, um, so this half of the babies, give them everything they need in terms of food, changing diaper, but otherwise don't touch them. And then this side over here, uh, pick them up, hug them, rub their feet, all that kind of stuff. And then they followed these babies as they were growing up. And the kids who were touched appropriately uh, grew up uh, much better adjusted to life, much more successful than the kids who were not. We need to experience physical touch, appropriate non-sexual physical touch. Correct. And so it becomes important for us to do that. I remember I had a, you know, family member who, you know, I, I was always very affectionate with my kids. And he was like, what, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm showing my child love. And basically his concern was that I was spoiling the children. That you can't spoil your child with love. You can spoil your child with material possessions. Material stuff, exactly. But you not can love. spoil your child by letting them have their way all the time. You right. can spoil them that way, but you can never spoil them with too much love. Amen. And so it becomes important. So they need that for self-assurance. The other things I want to go through real quickly, respect for authority, that's Romans 13, right? The whole point is you should have respect for authority. You should learn how to live under authority. And the reason we have so much nonsense in this country right now is most people have not grown up knowing how to live under authority, neither church. And at this point, neither the governments either. Correct. We don't know how to live uh, under authority. Third thing is a work ethic. Second Thessalonians. Let me just say this by saying all of this in chapter three, Paul says, you need to live by the rule that we passed on that if you don't work, you don't eat. Say it again, Pastor. And for the men, I want to remind you that in Genesis chapter uh, two, uh, when God finally saw that there was one thing that was not good, he he made all this stuff, uh, the sun and the moon, it's good. The water, it's good. All these animals, it's good. But then he looked at man, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And and But understand that before he got to that conclusion, there were two other things that he gave man. He gave every man a work to do because Adam was tending the garden and a will to obey, which is, you see that tree over there? Everything else, everything else is yours, but that tree, that's mine. Don't touch it. But then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he gave him the third thing, a woman to love. But of the three things that he gave the prototypical man, the first man, Adam, the, of the three things that he gave him, a work to do is one of them. God made us to work. And so we must teach our children a work ethic. It, it doesn't come natural to us. You got to teach them a work ethic. Next thing is a sense of transcendence. Teach them that there is something bigger than them in life. Another reason why we are having the difficulties that we're having as a nation is everyone is so focused on self and what I want, 
What I want that we have lost a sense that there is a bigger picture, that we are part of a bigger community. But it's, what's even uh, more important is that that community is under a bigger hand, and that hand is God. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, giving our kids a sense of transcendence is about teaching them this word. It is about teaching them about the God of this word. Teach them about the son of the God of this word. Teach them about the fall about redemption, about salvation and sanctification. Teach them about all of those things. That, listen to me. It's not your pastor's obligation. It is not your church's children's ministry obligation. It's your say, obligation. Say it again, pastor. It's your obligation. Yours. And so, and then the last thing is delayed gratification. I'm going to park here a couple of minutes because it's important. Delayed gratification uh, first of all, there is a a uh, there is a, a a biblical verse on that. Let's see, it's Proverbs uh, twenty one five. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Probably some people are like, why didn't you just mark these in your? But listen, I like to flip through the Bible. It makes me feel like a pastor. Twenty one five says the plans of the of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. You catch that? The plans of the diligent. What does it mean to be diligent? It means you plan. It means you think. It means you set everything up for success. Haste is when you just wing it. Okay. Now, let me give you the, the, the concrete study that there, one of the greatest books, if you ever want to read about what it means to be a healthy uh, adult, one of the greatest books ever done was, um, let's see, Daniel Goldman, I think was his name. And the book is called Emotional Intelligence. Emotional Intelligence. It is Daniel Goldman. And uh, he talks about the marshmallow uh, experiment. So you'll love this. I talk about this in my book, by the way. Um, so doctors bring in kids who have signed up for this experiment. And the idea is that they're going to uh, spend time with the kids and then follow them until the end of high school. Um, and here's the experiment. Uh, the child was brought into a room that had a, a, a one-way mirror and uh, there's a plate and in the middle of the table and that plate has a marshmallow. And so uh, the, the uh, science of the, doc the doctor there says, Oh, I need to go take care of something in the other room. Um, don't touch the marshmallow. If you touch the marshmallow, that's it. But if but if I come back and that marshmallow is still there, I'll give you a second one. Right. So the idea was, and so they would leave the room and they're taping this. I think I think if I remember this correctly, they're taping it. Um, and the funny thing is him describing the kids, right? Because some of them were able to sit very properly with their hands and wait. Others wanted to wait, but were having difficulties. And so they would sit on their hands. Others would turn the chair around so they didn't have to look at the marshmallow, right? Which, by the way, that's biblical. The Lord says, if your eye causes you to sin, right? So, um, and then some kids gave in, unfortunately. Some kids just, you know, uh, ate marshmallow. Now, in following them, what they found out is the kids who did not eat the marshmallow had um, better, did better in school, uh, had better relationships with family members and people around them. Um, they were uh, successful in just about anything that they attempted to do and had no issues with the law. 
the people who ate the marshmallows struggled in school, struggled in relationships, oftentimes got in trouble with the law. Uh, and what you basically saw is that your ability to succeed is tied to your ability to delay gratification. Again, one of the things that has not been encouraged in the United States of America, where we're used to getting everything. It's why you have these people getting into these silly arguments about things out there because everybody insists on getting their way. And so teaching our children, and by the way, the two examples that you see of this in the Bible, uh, Abraham and Sarah didn't trust the Lord for that uh, child. And so what's it, uh, take Hagar with you and, you know, what you got to do and go ahead and get you and just, and basically created the eternal conflict between Israel and the Middle East. And then on the other hand, you have Saul earlier in, in, um, when um, when he's waiting on Samuel to show up to do the sacrifices before they go into battle and Samuel was delayed. And so he took it upon himself to do the sacrifices, except under the Levitical law, he wasn't supposed to do the sacrifices. And you'll recall that was the moment when Samuel said, you know what? God is done with you. We're going to choose a king, a man who who is going to live after his heart. And that's when the decision is made to anoint David. So Saul lost the kingdom because he was impatient. So delayed gratification becomes important. So those five things, self-assuredness, respect for authority, a work ethic, a sense of transcendence, delayed gratification is the nurture. It is to build the character of the child. The next area that we turn to is training. And we already talked about uh, that particular verse. Again, Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. And what I what I equate training to is you need to teach kids uh, how to play the game called life. I, I don't know if it's still available, but when we were growing up, remember there was this board game called life and you played it and it gave you all these alternate scenarios. And, uh, and basically that there are some things you need to excel in life. And of all the studies in, in reading both the Bible and studies together, here are the five things that I came up with that every child needs to, we need to train every child in interpersonal relationships, right? That's just a fancy way of saying, teach them how to say hello, please. And thank you. Okay. And then, and then by the way, there are two specific ways that interpersonal relationships manifest themselves. First of all, talk. One of the ways that we oftentimes start trouble or uh, cause hurt in others is by the things we say. I want to remind our listeners, Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which will build others up that they may benefit from it if they listen to it. That's Ephesians 4.29. And then the other one is just peace, right? Romans 12.18, God says, if it is possible, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What are the three things? First of all, God says, if it is possible, that's God recognizing you live in a fallen world with fallen people. You ain't always going to get along with everybody. Amen. But then the second thing, <laughs> yeah, but then the second thing is that as long as it depends on you, in other words, don't you be the one who is doing something to exacerbate, to make the situation worse. Don't be throwing little. Yeah, don't be throwing little darts. Don't be saying, you know. Like, echándole, like we say in Puerto Rico, echándole fuego a la, a la leña. Throwing yeah, that's fire. Yeah, right, that's right. Adding fire to the wood. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
Uh, and that's why, you know, and, and by the way, I mean, I learned that I had to relearn that lesson in the age of electronics, that when somebody texts me something stupid, I don't have to respond, respond. to it. And when somebody posts something stupid on Facebook, I don't have to respond. I don't have to respond to it. Yes. And if you do respond, do it constructively. That's the whole point. And so, uh, but then of course it says live at peace with everyone. That's the goal. That's the goal. And so the whole thing is, and by the way, in terms of, I, mean, I saw an example of this in, in terms of physical conflict. Um, many of you may not know this, but in most martial arts systems, what you are taught to do is to be in a defensive mode or to behave in such a way that you avoid conflict. The idea is to avoid it. Now, if you have to use your training to disarm or to disable someone who is intent on attacking you, that's a totally different story. But you, you, I can, I, I can tell. In fact, it was funny because I had, I was uh, messing around with a couple of guys who were police officers. Um, and um and they tried to grab me and the way that i maneuvered myself they immediately like wait a minute you got you got some kind of training in there that you, we we don't know about <laughs> i'm like yeah i said listen man don't let my good nature fool you if i gotta take a brother out i can definitely take a brother out i'm just saying but whole, whole point though the biblical mindset is not allow yourself to be killed the biblical mindset is live at peace to the extent that it's possible live at peace with everyone. Try to always find the most peaceful solution. Um, so that's interpersonal relationships. The handling of their word was the second thing I taught, which is you got to teach kids how to be good for their word. That when they sit, when they make a commitment that they are going to stick with it. Um, I want to uh, read this one because I think it's very important. And it's Matthew chapter five and is starting at verse 34. And, um, he, uh, the word says this, but I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven or by, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make it even. Uh, you cannot make even one hair white or black. Here it is. Simply let your yes be yes and your no no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so the whole idea is just be good for your word. If you say yes, yes. If you say no, no, but be good for your word. And, um, you know, we live in a, in a society where almost uh, telling lies has become endemic. I mean, it's just like, it's almost like no one even, if someone lies, they, they don't even think about that it might be a bad thing. And so not for those of us who are Christians, we are taught to live in truth. And so one of the things we have to teach our kids is, um, you know, how to um, how to handle their word, how to be good for their commitment. Oh, he, I'll tell you the other basketball story with my son was um, after he lost that game, he didn't want to go back and play anymore. And I'm like, no, you're going to finish the season. We signed up. We said we were going to be on a team. I bought you your shirt and your old shoes. You're going to play the rest of the season. And, and it becomes important in the handling of the word to teach our kids how to finish things that they started. Because a lot of times parents come to me and that their kids don't finish anything that they start. I'm like, well, when did you make them? When did you actually make them finish something? What, what have you, if every time they say they want to quit, you let them quit. Well, guess what's the, what pattern they have developed? Quitting. 
So that becomes important. Resource management is the third thing. You got to teach them how to handle money, right? Again, one of the worst things I, I thought uh, our parents did was not teaching us how to handle money. You got to teach them how to handle resources. And that, by the way, is uh, just go to Luke 16 and uh, chapter verse 10, where God talks about those who handle those who are faithful with little will be given much. And those who are unfaithful with little, even what they have will be taken away. That's how resource management uh, works. If you handle it right, you'll always be taken care of. But if you don't, you 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 will live in consistent poverty. Basic literacy. Um, to me, that just is one that logically flows out of the command, you know, study the word to show yourself approved. How can you know God's word if you don't know how to read? Right. And so I remember meeting a doctor one time who impressed me. He said every kid who graduates from high school should be able to to read well enough to read a newspaper and to handle his or her life affairs. So you should be able to read. And then the last thing is good health and hygiene. And I know there's some people who think, oh, that's obvious. You'd be surprised how many people, number one, don't teach their kids how to do things to care for their bodies, like brushing their teeth or uh, flossing. flossing. Yeah, flossing. But then the other thing is, uh, my Lord, what have we done with our diets in this country? We, we have set our kids up to experience in their 20s um, adult diseases that they're not supposed to be having until the 50s and 60s. Um, I'm not going to say who it is, but Ramona, you and I know someone who as a child, his parents gave in every single time he said he wanted to eat at McDonald's. This kid is in his 20s and has been struggling for years with high blood pressure that almost killed him last year. And so it becomes important for us to know how to care for our bodies, but we also need to teach our kids how to do that. Don't give in every time they say they want to go to McDonald's or they want pizza or they want this. Listen, parents, I know we work hard. I know what it is to be in a two working parent environment. We are still responsible for making sure our kids learn how to eat. And by the way, with the eating, I, I, this is in my mind. Um, just because, just in case we have parents listening who are still together, that one of the best ways for you to raise your kids is to make sure that every day you have sit down dinner, TV off, radio off. And if I were a parent today, because all of my kids are full grown adults, if I were a parent today, I'd have a cell phone basket. Let's go put them in here, put them in. And then I would, um, put them away. And mine would go in there. By the way, parents, yours got to go in there too. Because you use that period of time to actually get conversation going. It's where you can do devotionals. It's where, you know, get one of the kids to read a scripture and uh, and make this a family thing. Mom and dad, don't spend that whole time talking about what how your work day was. Uh, kids, ask the kids how they did that day. Let's Let's bring them into the conversation. And then after they've shared their piece, you want to share yours. That's great. And of course, remember, share things that are age appropriate, because sometimes we work in places where Lord have mercy. OK, uh, so those are all the things that a child needs to grow up healthy and happy. And if you have gotten divorced or if you sired a child out of wedlock, 
Either way, you are responsible for making sure that your child has the nurture and the training. So how do we do this as co-parents? Well, this is very easy. I'm going to give you three rules. All of them start with the letter C so that you'll remember them. Uh, the first thing is that you must concur. That's just a fancy way of saying you have to agree. We already talked about that earlier in the, in the podcast, but let me talk about it now. It becomes critically important for the two of you to be on the same page with regards to how these children are going to be raised. And it means being on the same page about everything from um, curfews to bedtimes to bedtime rituals to rules regarding homework and play. Uh, because one of the challenges oftentimes that happens and you know, I hate to say this, but I've got to speak based on the experience that I've had as a pastoral counselor that the men are usually the worst on this part, that men will, for terrible and selfish reasons, will let these kids come over and basically it's Disneyland. Whatever you want to do, uh, you know, stay up as late as you want to, watch whatever you want to, and, and basically make mom's life harder by not continuing the same rules that they live with under moms. And it's selfish. And it, it listen to me, it is ruinous of your children. You will ruin them uh, because one of the aspects of disciplining, remember, is to train them. And training comes through consistency. Hey, listen, guys, let me talk to you for a second. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you watch sports. If you're a guy that more likely than not, you, you like, well, listen, I don't know if you've ever been part of a sports team, but let me tell you, you know how you learn how to play those sports? Drills. You do the same thing over and over and over again. Why? Because after a while, it becomes natural to you. It's why you do all those layups. It's why you run the court the way you do. It's why you take foul shots. So life works the same way in every other area. If you train your kids to brush properly brush and floss their teeth while they're kids, they'll continue to do this as adults. And guess what? They won't be gumming their food at 55. <laughs> um, and so it really becomes important for there to be agreement. Now, I understand that there's a um, that this can be a challenge because if two people didn't get along get along well enough to stay married, or if two people don't get well don't get along well enough to get married, it's like y'all. Oh, I see y'all y'all agreed y'all agreed about the sex thing, but y'all ain't agree about all the other stuff. Um, and so my thing is, um, you need agreement. And so if you cannot reach agreement on your own. Here's what I strongly advise, hire a third party to create a written set of agreements. Not a family member. No, not a family member. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I mean. Get a counselor, get a life coach, get a pastor, uh, someone who their life is about teaching you how to get the most out of life. And, um, and then have them help you sort of find where that those happy mediums are. Because here's the other thing, I do want to say this about rules. One of the things that will make rules easier to live by is if you are flexible enough to occasionally give a break from the rules. And so, for example, um, and, and for different reasons, you know, for example, every once in a while, uh, it's okay to let your kids stay up past curfew for special reasons. Like I remember one, <laughs> I remember one that was hilarious. 
And Ramona, you were there. We had a bunch of family members come over. And, you know, Ruben was there with his cousins and they were having a good time. And uh, at about nine o'clock, I'm looking around and I see everybody else's kids. I don't see where my kid is. So I'm like, huh. So I go upstairs quietly and I go and this dude on his own, he was maybe nine at the time, um, decided I'm tired. He went upstairs, brushed his teeth, washed his face, got into his pajamas and into bed, even though the house was full of guests. And so my thing was he had the option of staying up, which he did because his bedtime was eight o'clock. And so, you know, he stayed up one hour past. But after that, it was like, he's like, ain't no reason for me to stay up. I'm tired. Because it was so, routine for him because yeah. that's the way you raised him. He had a right. certain bedtime. Right. <laughs> but, but my thing is, if he wanted to stay up, I would have been OK with that, because how often do you get to hang out with your cousins? Especially that many of them, because there were quite a few. So um, so every once in a while it's okay. But here's the thing. Parents just still agree on uh, what those are. And by the way, if you truly have a biblical marriage, dad, you should put your foot down in those instances where the breaking of the rules is not beneficial to the child. Let me give you a specific uh, example. So we had an agreement in our house. This is my first marriage that we were going to host a life group at our house of people who lived in our area and that they were coming over Friday night. And the agreement was everybody in the family had to participate. So the Friday comes and we have a child who is um, an introvert. And he was like, no, I don't want to. I want to go upstairs and play Madden. And his mother agreed with him. And that's when I said, no, we talked about this and we agreed that he would benefit from being with our church family together on the nights where we agreed we would be together, which was tonight. He will not go upstairs to play video games. He will stay here. Well, guess what? The following week, when all those guests came over for life group, guess who was the one who ran to the door to open the door and greet them? This child. Why? Because against his wisdom, he thought, oh, I'm not going to like this. I'm going to go play video games, which is what I like. But what he found out is the people that we were participating with in life group were so delightful, so wonderful. I miss them very much. Um, so delightful, so wonderful that... He loved being with them. And I think especially because there was a younger couple that was, you know, that he thought they were cool. Right. And so, um, so dad, it becomes important sometimes if mom is wanting to take the lesser uh, way out and then mom, if dad is doing it, the same thing, both of you must respectfully express to the other and then find a way to work it out. But if you can't find a way to work it out, go to a third party, like I said, life coach, a counselor, a pastor, someone to help you, but you have to be in agreement. And if you're not, listen, if you don't have the patience, the maturity, let's be honest, the maturity to agree to something and be good for your word, um, then I, su I su suggest that you actually put it in writing. And even, listen, even if, if you're getting divorced or if you've gotten divorced, submit it to the court as part of your court uh, order. In other words, that you're obligated by the words that you agreed to on that paper. 
Because if you don't have agreement, you are going to ruin the child. And and remember, this is not about you. Mr. Man, who's uh, all upset, ma'am, uh, you, you, you who are upset, it's not about you. I don't care how you feel about him. Does he mistreat you? Probably does, but it's not about him. Dude, it's not about her or the dude that she's trying to date right now and you're not happy about. It's about the children. It's about the children. It's about the children. And by the way, here's the one thing I will add with regards to blended family. The rules of agreement apply in a blended family situation. That is that the parents of the children must agree, but then if either or both get married, they must make sure that these are people who are going to help them keep their word with regards to this agreement. And uh, and by the way, I do a divorce recovery class. One of the things that I talk about is how you screen your, if you're divorced, and you're at the point where you you feel like the Lord has released you to remarry that and you and you and if you have any doubts about whether God has released you to remarry talk to your pastor and your elders about it but if they've released you to remarry you have an obligation to marry someone who is going to make raising your children uh as easy as possible not more difficult you know if you if you're going to marry one of those people who's going to differentiate between your kids and their kids and all that kind of stuff you're just asking for grief Mature people will recognize. Listen, uh, if if there's one of the things that I adore about your husband, Oscar, is that he has loved your sons well. And I will always love him and respect him for it because he's done it well. And but not everybody, you know, you and I know not everyone does that. And so that that's one sort of side note with the blended family. Um, if If both of you remarry. Guess what? All four of you have to be in agreement about how you raise those children. You can't have the divide and conquer thing. So the second thing is you must commit. What does that mean? It means once you agree, do what you said you were going to agree to do. If you agreed that the bedtime is nine o'clock for these kids, make sure that at 845, it's like, all right, I don't know what y'all doing. Put it away. I need everybody in pajamas. Do your teeth. Wash your face. Get ready for bed. And if they're younger, uh, you know, uh, the older ones usually, you know, they don't they don't necessarily want you to have, you know, routine with them. Um, but but the younger ones, you know, if if what they were used to is being read to before going to sleep, read to them. You know, don't be lazy. I don't care whether, you know, your favorite TV show has started. You can always record that and watch it later on on your own time. Listen to me. God. Does not, these are not really our kids. They are God's kids, and he gives them to us for a season to steward. You only have a short amount of time to prepare them, listen, to prepare them to be in relationship with God and to live out their God-given purpose for the kingdom. That's your job. And so my thing is um, cherish that time and don't abuse it out of spite for your spouse or that person who you you thought well enough to have sex with, but you ain't think well enough to marry. I'm just saying uh, that's what it is. So commit, be good for your word. If you agree to, first of all, agree on stuff. And then once you agree, commit, be consistent. If you say you're going to pick up these children at a certain time, pick them up at that time. Don't be having the school calling your spouse talking about, uh, your children are still here. Is somebody going to pick them up? Cause that's happened. Or here's my other favorite one. This is probably one of the few times in church I literally wanted to actually um, 
throw someone out of the church. Let's put it that way. This guy decides without telling his ex-wife that he's going to remove the children from school in the middle of a school year. There's no vacation. There's no time off. He took them out of school to take them to Disney with his new wife without saying anything to her. That has got to be the ultimate act. And I told this to his face. It's like the ultimate act of selfishness. I mean, you, you are so far gone. It's like, dude, please, whatever you do, don't ever say you're a Christian in front of me. It, it's an assault on the word Christian. It is an assault to my sensibilities. And I personally, do me a favor, at least for a while, until I tell you otherwise, just avoid me. Just avoid, I don't even want to see you. I don't even want to see you. It's like, it, it's like you're not even a man, you're a male. Because how selfish do you have to be? So first of all, you're taking them out of school. What are you teaching your kids? That, that their responsibilities don't matter? You're showing them that their mother's not worth of res worth uh, respecting? Because let me tell you something. Even though my kids are grown, one of the things I will ask each of them when I talk to them, how are you and your mom doing? How's your mom doing? And her and their mom, by the way, their mom and I, we do not talk about anything except the kids. Like that's just that's just how it is. But we can always talk about the kids. And uh, I will always ask them about their mom. Why? And I remind them that our obligation to honor father and mother is not, not with when divorce happens. And it certainly doesn't happen with co when when two par parents decide not to wed. Uh, we still have to honor our, our mother and father. And so my thing is um, commit. Uh, and then the last thing is communicate, which the example of the guy pulling his kids out of Disney was perfect example how not to do it. Communicate. You got to constantly uh, do it. In fact, it was funny. So I'm not going to say the instance, but um, something occurred with one of the kids. Uh, after mom and I had gotten divorced and, um, and guess what? We still had the pause discipline thing in intact. He was late teens, early twenties. And, um, so when I finally sat him down to talk about it, I said, well, listen, man, your mom and I talked and he said, your mom talked. I said, yeah. I said, because listen, if you're not ready to hear this, I don't care. This is the truth. If you if you divorce somebody, but you had kids with that person, that part of you will always be married to that person. Yes. Fact, and yeah. and I mean, let me just say this to that, because your son was an adult and he was shocked that the parents spoke. I know of a group of adult children who who prefer their parents not to speak because even as adults, they can still play mom against pop. Yeah, yeah. So oh when they're God. mad at mom, yes. when they're mad at mom, they call pop and they talk smack about pop. And then yep. when they're mad at pop, they talk smack about mom. I see yeah. that as adults. So yeah. I appreciate that you mentioned that. Yeah. Oh no. Let me tell you something. Here, here's what I tell people about raising kids. Um, one of the uh, teachings of the Bible that convinced me to become a Christian is the fact that we're all born sinners, right? Because like when we were in college and I was very liberal in those days, you know, they were like, oh, well, uh, you know, 
the only reason people turn out bad is because their environment. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I can accept that uh, when Pookie grows up to sell drugs, but I cannot accept that to explain how Hitler killed 6 million people because they were Jews. How do you explain Stalin and Lenin, the Duvaliers in Haiti, Fidel Castro in Cuba, every dictator in this country who has committed horrific crimes against the people? How do you explain that with your environment made you that way? Mm -mm. But it all made sense to me when someone explained the gospel clearly to me. And I saw right in the word it says all of us are born sinners. And so I always tell people there are three genes that every child is born with that proves to you that they're born sinners. Here they are. The first one is the one that teaches them to say no. We teach our kids to say yes, to be respectful. But that first time, usually around two years old, when you tell them to do something, they look at you and they say, no, you know, that comes straight from the pit of hell. That comes right from the devil. So the second thing is the gene that teaches them to lie. We don't teach our kids to lie. But that first time you like, baby, did you get an Easter chocolate? No. And she got chocolate all on her face and a little wrapper hanging out her shorts. It's like, girl, you lying to me. You know, that's the second thing. And then the third thing is the divide and conquer gene. They play that game early, which is why early on, if you do the disciplining practice of pause and discipline, and, and by the way, when I, when, when, I, when I teach this, I tell men, after you've discussed this with mom, you go upstairs and give the sentence. You go up there and tell them what, what, what you decided. But when you say your mom and I have talked and we have agreed, that statement, that phrase, we have agreed has power to bind all sorts of evil in the, in the lives of our children and in all of our life. It binds. Once we agree, see, the, Satan cannot get through agreement when you agree on the things of God. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I have had two of my children at times say, <clears throat> can you not tell dad? And I said to him, absolutely not. You can tell him or I'm going to tell him because the minute I do not share anything with my husband. I have now just opened up a hole for the enemy to get in mm -hmm. and have a mm -hmm. field day. Yes. So I'm like, if you want to tell him, great. If not, I'll go ahead and tell him. How do you want to handle this? Yeah. I will not lie to my husband yeah. for my child. Absolutely right. not. Not doing That's it. Right. That's right. And so it becomes important. And again, this is one of those instances where if you have a difficult time communicating, get some help. And by the way, here's where I'm going to get really practical is you know that there are many organizations uh, in communities. All you have to do is sort of ask around. I don't know where all of you live, and so I can't go. I know that in Maryland, uh, there was a group called the National Family Resiliency Center. Um, but there are always groups that teach co-parenting classes. I would urge you that if you really love your children, that you would actually sign up for these if you have a struggle getting along with the other parent. Because, you know, if you have two people, you know, for example, here's here's uh, a situation I've seen many times. Um, man and a woman, um, very passionate people. Now, passion can be a wonderful thing. Uh, it can really bring a lot of exuberance and excitement to life. 
The pat, bad part about passion, though, is can also bring a great deal of strife and grief into life because mm -hmm. that same passion that you feel when you love somebody and leads you into their arms is the same passion that makes you put your hands around their neck to try and strangle them because they did something to make you mad. And so uh, and which is, by the way, for the Christian, this is why it's important for us to understand we emotions. We are not meant to live by our emotions. Another reason we're having trouble in America today. People are always talking about what well, I feel. I feel you're not supposed to live life by your emotions. Your life, the center of your life is your soul being committed to living according to God's word. And that uh, commitment turning into thoughts, into thinking that then leads to action that is uh, edifying for both you and God. Emotions are not supposed to be anything, but listen, it's the check engine light of your soul. That's what emotions are. Emotions are, are about, uh, emotions are basically your body's way of showing you when something is wrong or something is right with your life. And so, you know, like when you have a baby, right? How exciting is that? Your emotions are off the chart. You're like crying one moment, smiling another, laughing another. And it's, but you have this beautiful creature. And now it's like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I've been trusted with this. And then when, that's when you start to maybe start feeling anxiety and fear. And that's because in your soul, there are places where you feel inadequate to be a parent. Okay, so emotions are nothing but your soul's check engine light. Your check engine light comes on your car to tell you there's something wrong with your motor. There's something wrong going on. Emotions, of course, can also show us when things are right, right? So when you turn it on, if it's full of gas, your indicator says, you know, the little line is on F, right, for full. And so your emotions can also teach you good things. But all it does is shows you the state of your soul. You're not supposed to live by your emotions, though. You're supposed to live by your commitment. That's what you're supposed to live by. And so that's essentially what we're trying to teach our kids by teaching them, uh, by training them, by nurturing them. That's what we're trying to do is to create human beings who are in touch with themselves in such a way and with God in such a way that they understand that it is only by aligning ourselves with God's word that um, we can have success. Amen. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I want you at some point to talk about this fatherless nation that we have yeah. and the importance of fathers being in the life of the children, um, regardless of what we women think. Because yeah. for a while there, I'm going to be honest, Angel, I mm. brought into BC before Christ. I was one of those women that brought into, well, I, I, I don't need a man. I could be father and mother. Yeah. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Mm -hmm. I do not have what it takes to raise a man, a son, to be mm -hmm. a man, mm -hmm. because I'm not a man. Right, I think right, like right. a woman, because I've yeah. been created right as a woman. So right. at some point, I want you to touch on that. Yeah, I, I mean, let, let's talk about it. So, it, so it becomes interesting. Um, let Let me talk about it by by running through something really quickly. So. Uh, and I think I've actually talked about this on one of your previous podcasts, which is there was a sociologist and historian named Carl Zimmerman who decided that he was going to study what was happening with families when each of the world's major empires were falling. The Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the French Empire, the English, the British Empire. And what he noticed is that there was a circular 
um, there was almost a circular um, situation where when, when things in the world were at their worst, uh, families were organized around what he called trustee families. That is, there would be a group of men who would lead uh, families as a whole. There was no individual ownership of property. There was no individual action, this, that, and the other. Everything was done as a group. If anyone acted against a member of your group, you defended that member against that action. If you, someone in your group hurt somebody else, you made that somebody else whole for what the person in your group did. But what, what uh, Zimmerman uh, saw is that this, this trusty family brought enough um, normalcy to the world that eventually uh, power could be handed over to governments and then eventually uh, the family would form into what he calls domicile families. And domicile families is what we call the biblical family, father, mother, children. And what he noticed is that during the times that empires had domicile families, those were the periods where they had the greatest increase in prosperity and wealth, that they did well. But then here's what he found out, that once that prosperity and wealth came to that nation, the family would change once again to what he called the atomistic family. And the atomistic family is basically people saying, well, family is whatever we want it to be. And in those societies, he found that there was a great deal of divorce, that marriage lost its sacredness, that sexual perversion was, you know, at the core of sort of everybody's living and being, um, crime, disrespect for parents. And, um, and what he found is that those were the things that were going on when empires fell, which, by the way, I got to say, it doesn't bode well for America right now. Um, but that's what he found when empires were falling, that's what was going on with families. And so I, I put that as a background because obviously a functioning household is one that has a father and a mother, according to God, that's how he structured the family to be. Because here's my thing. Women learn how to be women from mom, ideally, but women have to learn how to interact with men. And so one of the things, for example, that I tell fathers is, you know, when your daughter gets to a certain age, about seven, I would say, maybe eight, you need to start dating her. Like you need to actually have like a regular day where you take her out and and through the way you treat her, show her how she is supposed to be treated. And so my thing was I start I started dating uh, Jasmine would take her out would pull her chair out at the restaurant for her, um, would, um, when the waiter came, honey, what would you like to eat? Um, and so isn't it funny that, and by the way, that, that ended about 11 when it was like no longer cool to be seen with your parents, right? But here's the thing, later on in her 20s for Father's Day, she gave me a card. I keep that card where I can see it. I'm gonna literally read it to you from where I'm sitting. It says, dad, setting the stand standard no boyfriend could possibly meet. And that's the goal, is for you to show, and here's the goal, not to make it impossible. Actually, the goal is to give your daughter an example of what she is supposed to look for in the mate for her life. Because um, they won't settle for anything less if dad has set the right, but you need dad in the home to set that. And if dad is not in the home, then you need to somehow create uh, an agreement with your spouse where you can give her access to that on 
a regular basis. And so, and then for the man, for the, for boys, it's the reverse, right? From boys, they learn how to be a man from dad. Like I, for me, one of the highlights of my life was one time I'm in the bathroom, I have the door open, I had showered and I, you know, I was wearing a robe and I, we, we were going out and I'm shaving, right? And Ruben comes in and, you know, he four years old, maybe. And um, so he says, me too, me too. So what I did was I put the, the little lather on his cheeks. And then what I did was I turned the razor around so that the non-sharp part and I shaved him. But the whole point is, that's how he learns, is by watching dad. Now, ideally, the way that he is supposed to learn how to uh, deal with women is through his relationship with his mother. Like, I know this makes people feel uncomfortable, but listen, the first man in a woman's life is his dad, is her dad. And for a boy, the first woman in his life is mom. And so they will learn how to relate to women and they will learn how to either respect or disrespect the, per, the people of opposite gender, all of that will depend on the relationship that they have or don't have with their spouse. And so one, you know, and one again in pastoral counseling, one of the things that I have uh, dealt with regularly is women who were abandoned early on by their fathers, and those fathers were subsequently unavailable to them, and they grow up with such a lack of self-esteem. <laughs> And they settle for anything in their relationships because they 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 just want to they just want to feel the touch of a man, they hear the voice of a man so badly that they will be in relationship with any, you know, as they say back in New York. So if there's a woman today who is co-parenting or not co-parenting, our, our goal today is to try to get people to understand that they need to co-parent, co-parent well. So what I'm hearing as a woman, if I have children with a man and I have a daughter, the importance of me allowing my daughter to, to have a relationship with her father. Yeah. Because yeah, no, in the future, it's going to affect my daughter. Yeah. No, it's no question about it. I mean, what, and vice versa. What, with, one of the things I need to try and get people to understand the reason the Bible spends so much time giving us genealogies is where you come from matters. This is why, for example, we have people who, when they're adopted, will, will knock down rocks and mountains to find their biological parents. And people will say, well, I don't understand. Your adoptive parents treated you really nice. Yeah, they did. But they still need to know about their roots. They still need to know who their real dad and their real mom is. Um, and so, uh, and so part of our sense of self-assuredness is to have a, listen, just as we want approval from our heavenly father, we as children want the approval of our parents. Uh, you know, for example, one of the things that's awesome is, you know, we have a great relationship with our dad and he is, um, you know, he just, um, He's become that type of parent who just constantly reminds you how proud he is of you, how he loves you. And, you know, that's amazing because that wasn't his vibe at all as a younger dad, but that's who he's become as an older man. And that becomes so important. And so um, I, I would say this, unless you have some real concerns about the care that your child would receive with your ex or 
the person who you slept with, unless unless you have some kind of evidence to prove that your child would be in danger with that person, it is really cruel for you to keep them from their their parent, from their other parent. Because uh, again, our sense of identity comes from knowing where we're from, and you really should be encouraging your um, you know, you should really be encouraging your your children to know their other parent, to spend time with them, to uh, for them to have a relationship, to facilitate communication between them. Um, you know, we were lucky because by the time um, by the time uh, my divorce happened, uh, we already were living in a season of cell phones. And the kids had their, you know, my kids were old enough to have their own cell phones. And so I could just, you know, even now I text them all the time and we go back and forth. Sometimes uh, we, you know, we're watching the same game and we're, we're going back and forth. Did you see that? Um, uh, you know, it, it was easy for me to stay in touch with them. Um, but, but it's almost unless again, unless you have a legitimate concern about the health and well-being of your child, it's really cruel to keep them from their other parent because it, it is part of their identity. And so they need to know as much about their other grandparents, about their other siblings. And and here's my thing, man. You know, you can be mad right now all you want to, but you thought that, you know, all that was okay when you was with them. So I don't understand why all of a sudden you would be, you know uh, against that. Um, and again, unless, unless you're talking about a situation where, um, you know, that there's a a level of dysfunction that could really cause harm to your child, I would strongly recommend that you do whatever is necessary to allow your kids to spend time with their, their actual parent. And again, usually this is, this is the case where it's a woman has the kids and she's not letting the dad, uh, for different reasons, you know, um, non-payment of child support is one that I remember. Um, but you know, and and there were there have only been a few times where I thought there was really a legitimate like I wouldn't trust this kid with a puppy, let alone a child. You know, there are those instances, and we've got to recognize that. But I think if you know, I think if it's just you know y'all can't get along, that's not a good enough reason. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you thought you thought. Here's the, I'm going to be brutally honest as a pastor. If you thought well enough to lie down with this dude, um, you know, you need to share some time with the, with the kids. You need, yeah. you need to share the kids with this person. And if that other person, the other parent, whether it be the mother or the father, now has a girlfriend or a fiance or a boyfriend and fiance, and, and now you're mad at them because they've moved on. That has nothing to do with them being a parent. No, my no. ex-husband remarrying or having a girlfriend has doesn't change the fact that right. he's the father of my kids, right? And vice versa, right? You know, right. right? And by the way, I mean, for those of us who are lucky enough to remarry, you know, one of the things that I I love about my current wife is she's never lost sight of that. Like her thing is, she is the mother of your children, and. Mm-hmm. And she needs to, you need to be able to talk to her. Y'all, she has to have access to you to talk about anything that has to do with these kids. Um, so it helps to have a, 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 a spouse who's supportive. But yes, here, here's now here's the one thing I will say, though, about that situation. Again, again, 
from my experience, it's the men who usually do this. Uh, so, so for, for those of you guys who think I'm anti-man, I'm, I'm not anti-man. Uh, I am anti-stupid uh, or anti-mean. And I've seen too many men do this. Men who, for example, start dating someone. And then when mom wants to know something about that person, they're like, well, it's none of your business. What? What? On what, on what planet is that not her business? Those are her kids. If this is the person who you're going to be, uh, who you're going to have around her kids, she absolutely needs to know who that is. You need to say who it is, how you met that person, and what your intentions are. Because what if you are, uh, you know, marrying somebody or dating somebody who you want to marry, and they're like the ultimate evil stepmom? Um, what? Because you're attracted to her? Is supposed that you, like, your kids have to put up with that? No, 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 no. What? One of the uh, okay. Go. Let's go back to blended families. One of the realities that I tell people when they're getting ready to marry someone who is divorced and had kids with that person they divorced is I'm going to say something. And whenever I say this, the people who I say it to don't like it, but it's the truth. When you marry a person who's been divorced, but they had kids with the person they divorced, you marrying the person they divorced too. In other words, I was not unclear about this. When I proposed to Wendy, one of the things that we talked about is, you know, you know, if you marry me, you marrying the ex because we got kids and we still got to deal with each other. And she's like, ain't a problem. And by the way, I knew that for her, it really wasn't a problem. She's like that mm-hmm. kind of cool. But, um, you know, People let their emotions, again, this goes back to the whole thing of the place of emotions. You're not supposed to be led by your emotions. Your emotions are supposed to be indicators. So what happens when you hear that he's got another woman and you start to get mad? Stop. Ask yourself, why are you mad? Especially if you left them. Right? If you had concerns about him. If you didn't want anything to do with him as a husband. Why are you mad? Right? And so oftentimes when you do the work, you find out that you're mad because you're jealous, because you're fearful. Because here's the thing, you're afraid, well, he got somebody, but nobody's going to marry you with all those kids. Which, you know, again, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell because both Ramona and I, sadly, have been divorced. But Ramona and my, both Ramona and I joyfully married people who have loved our kids wonderfully. Because just as Oscar has loved her sons wonderfully, Wendy has loved my children wonderfully. So what does all this mean? It means um, you shouldn't deny the kids, but you can go. Remember when I said about having, right, concur, have an agreement, uh, commit, live that agreement out, and communicate. Here's where you communicate, and what you wish to do is express Ask, ask it as a question. How are we going to continue to um, maintain and honor the agreement that we entered into with this new person in the mix? What's their role going to be in all of this? Are they are they in agreement with us about how we decided we we're going to raise our kids? Because the guy who took the, the kids out of school to take them to Disney, I was just as mad as his new wife as I was at him. I, I was just like, 
wait, this fool took these kids out of school and you were okay with it? What does that say about your integrity, madam? What does that say about who you are, lady? Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's my thing is, my thing, here's the thing. The person who you used to marry to has the right to know who it is that you're involved with. Yes. They have a right to know. And, so, if they, and if they raise concerns, you have to hear those concerns. Yeah. So when my ex-husband uh, came to my house with his girlfriend, the only mm-hmm. things that I wanted to know besides was she a good person, that she was good to my kids, and that she loved them. After that, right. that's not my girlfriend, that's his girlfriend. Right. I don't care. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was good with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, my, yeah, um, my thing is, you know. When you and I first got married, hopefully, uh, we we talked about and had an idea about how we wanted our kids to be raised. And those standards don't change because you brought someone else into the picture. And so here's some situations I've come across in my account. I'm telling you, Lord have mercy. I should really write a book about all this stuff. Um, so here's one of the situations I came across. Write that book, sir. Guy, guy uh, gets remarried has children over to the house, two of them, boys. Adolescent boys. And new wife likes to walk around uh, apartment in skimpy outfit. Really? Really, bro? Really? Who's the man here? You say you love the Lord. You say you're a Christian and you allow this. Come on, man. Ask her to put on a robe or some clothes or something. Your boys are in here. You're basically trying to tempt them into, you know, uh, all sorts of attempt their minds to go places they don't need to go. It's like, and by the way, if, if you know, for those of you who may be listening, you're not quite uh, steeped in the faith. I'd like to remind you, the Lord talks about the fact that a, a woman of God is dressed with modesty and propriety. Let's not act like that's not in the Bible, Okay. That wasn't an old-fashioned uh, suggestion on how you should dress. If you are a woman of God, you dress with modesty and propriety. Um, and uh, for the rest of y'all, y'all don't believe in God? Well, y'all dress the way you want to, just not around my kids. That's why, you know, certain places I wouldn't take my children. And um, so, yeah. And please it, don't marry someone with kids if you are not open to co-parenting with yes. them yes. don't do it yeah you you didn't just marry him you married him and his kids like when yeah. i ma- married my husband that day at the altar mm-hmm. i knew that i was marrying him and his kids and yes. the one thing that i really um found attractive about him was his love and his care for his children mm-hmm. because let me tell you something <laughs> if you marry a dude that don't take care of his kids why you think he gonna take care of your kids any better Preach it now. Why do I want to be married to a man that doesn't take care of his kids, doesn't pay child support for his kids and all that other stuff and think that he's going to treat mine any different? Like, who does that, right? Hello. Hello. Here's the one thing. Whether my ex-husband paid child support or not, I never use that to say, now you can't see your kids. I'm sorry, because I don't know any adult child that ever said, "Uh, let's see, my dad didn't send money or my dad came to visit me. They're gonna say my dad didn't come visit me mm-hmm. because they don't understand the money and the all that right, aspect. Right, they just right. want that parent's love. So well, please but, don't do that. 
Well, and this is, again, why it goes to the importance of a couple understanding that if the goal, once you have children, you are obligated to raise those children in a way that they grow up to be healthy, well-adjusted adults, regardless of your marital status. That's your obligation. You brought them into the world. You did. They didn't ask to come in. You brought them in through your actions. You now have the obligation. And part of that obligation is stewarding how you get along with the other parent and making things as best as possible. That's why, for example, you know, in my situation and people hear this and they just we were like we realized the foolishness of spending all of your money on lawyers. We recognize the foolishness and the harm to our children of getting into a knockdown, drag out brawl in the courts. And so we, on our own, negotiated an agreement uh, to cover all aspects of uh, the, 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 the raising of our children and the basis upon which we would um, you know, divorce. And that was so that, that the kids the only thing for them that was really difficult was having to adjust to mom and dad living in different houses. That was it. But other than that, um, the rest of life wasn't any different. In fact, I, I will tell you, I was in a situation where I was unemployed and um, there was the, there was an opportunity for me to take the headship of a Latino uh, research center at a university in Rhode Island. And I refused to take it. Uh, even though I had no other job and no other source of income, I refused to take it because um, I uh, wanted to be where my kids were. I did not want to be away from my kids. And so in terms of picking them up at school and bringing them to their mom's home, in terms of being there for their, um, you know, our daughter was an equestrian team member. So used to go to her competitions, all of that stuff um, was um, all of that stuff did not go away because the divorce happened. Why did it not go away? Because both parents, even though we divorced, we were still committed to the health and well-being of our children. And we wanted our children to grow up still knowing that regardless of what, because remember the very first need I talked about at the top of the podcast was security. They had the security of knowing mommy and daddy still love us mommy and daddy are still here for us. And so that being the case, um, you know, the rest, the rest is just details to be worked out. Okay. Um, help. Um, so we had someone ask, how about meddling uh, grandparents, whether it be maternal or paternal grandparents that have now feel the need to uh, be part of this, um, not allowing you to co-parent your children? Okay. So my, um, you know, because they my, don't like you or because the daughter doesn't like you or the son doesn't like you vice versa. Right, right. So here's my thing. This, this is still an issue of boundaries. And, uh, what I would say is without the kids being there, try to sit down, even if it's with a third party, like a pastor or a, a life coach or a counselor and try to work out an agreement with the grandparents in terms of when they can see, because here's one of the things that is terrible about divorce is, uh, you know, when you divorce, when you get divorced, there is also a breaking of relationship with that person's family members. And so, um, you know, one of the things that, um, 
you know, was heartbreaking for me being married for 26 years to someone. I actually really liked her sisters, all three of her sisters. And uh, we just have no relationship anymore. So the loss just wasn't my wife, but the loss, my ex-wife, but the loss was also my sister-in-law's. Um, now, interestingly enough, all of her cousins have actually kept me as a as a cousin. That's like, okay, so we, we understand you are our cousin by marriage, but you still are cousin. Um, and so that happens. So grandparents, you know, first of all, let me tell you that there are states that have actually legally created rights for grandparents. And so grandparents do have rights in certain states to be able to see their child. And so again, you know, I would rather that you get ahead of the curveball and um, and to to, you know, make an agreement with them so that that way the kids can. And also because it goes back to us saying earlier about kids needing to know where they're from. They need to know grandpa and grandma also. However, here's my one caveat to that. If grandpa and grandma are acting like they ain't got no home training or no sense, um, I, I would go as far as considering getting the law involved. And that means actually getting a restraining order. Um, I, I, and I know, by the way, I know that there are people. Uh, so, so let me address this. There are people. Be careful. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's address that because there's some yeah. people that do restraining orders without it being necessary. It's just a plain, flat no. out evil. No, no, no. I, I understand that. And, and so let me say this, because first of all, the courts should ideally be able to discern a good judge will be able to discern the difference between a rightfully requested one and an unrequested one. And so what I'm saying is don't listen, do not use this as a means of getting redress unless you're the in-laws that you're dealing with are really or your ex-in-laws are really being um Ne I'm talking about negative bordering on pathological. And I'm talking about they are being really unreasonable. Uh, they've threatened you with violence. Uh, they've threatened with kidnapping your kids. If, they, if it's gotten to that point, you need help. Now, now what I the reason that, that I, I wanted to uh, sort of stop and pause here is because as a pastor, there are probably some people out there saying, oh, Pastor, how could you say that? Christians are not supposed to sue each other. And I actually want to remind them of uh, what I call the Matthew 18 procedure for conflict resolution. Remember that Jesus actually gives us a way to resolve conflict with other people. And what he says is this. He says, first of all, if you have something against a brother, go to that person. All right. So that's that's a private conversation. You go one on one and say, hey, listen, I really don't. I'm really concerned about the whole, the tone and how all of this has gone. Is there any way that we can work this out in a way that's beneficial to everyone? Like I want us to be able to, to be, to have the best relationship possible. Um, if so, what Jesus says is that if that person repents, then you won them over. Right. So then the second thing he says is, but if they don't bring two or three witnesses with you. Now, if you've moved it from a private conversation to a private conference, Again, you're not involving a lot of people, just two or three people, he said, to establish the matter. This is where I would advise having the meeting on neutral grounds, not with their pastor, not with your pastor. Have a pastor, a counselor, a life coach, a third party, even a lawyer, a mediator. For example, a lot of communities now have mediation programs. Get a mediator to try and work things out between y'all. Um but then Jesus says, if they still don't repent, now you bring it to the church. So now you've gone from 
private conversation to private conference, and if not, then public confrontation. That's when you bring it. And what he says is, if they still don't, then you treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what does that mean? Well, now you can sue them. Now you can actually drag them into court because here's the thing, even though they say that they're a Christian, they're not behaving like a Christian. And if they're not going to behave like a Christian, if they're going to behave like the world, you have to deal with them like the world. And that means be smart, get an attorney. Um, if you can't um, figure out what your community provides in that regard. But my thing is, I, it's one thing to deal with disagreement. What I'm concerned about, because I've seen it personally in the, the, the stories of people that I've counseled over the years, is you really get some people who have these weird ideas or inappropriate ideas about what is right and wrong. And again, to be honest with you, again, it really all goes back to the things I pointed to throughout the podcast, which is this is what happens when you have a society where we feel entitled, where we feel like we have a right to everything. It's all about me and what I want, what I feel. Um, rather than us having a larger sense of community and family and world, because if you have a orientation that is about what's the best thing for the community, the best thing for the community is that these kids be raised in a healthy environment. What's one of the things you cannot have in a healthy environment? Conflict. And so it becomes important for you know, uh, and now let me also add that in the midst of all this, yes, there should be prayer, lots of prayer. Um, you'd be surprised how sometimes the Lord in a season of prayer can really give you a unique solution, something that you can say that no one else can, who might bring an end or might bring someone over to your side. They can see your, your point of view. And here's the other thing, though, is if you're a grandparent, because I've also counseled grandparents in this situation. And this person is just hell bent on not giving you access to the child. There really isn't anything you can do for a while, uh, except pray that God will give you the, the longevity to live until this child gets to a certain age. Cause by the way, here's the other thing I want to throw into the co-parenting mix. Uh, and I'm glad I thought about this under no circumstances. I don't care how you feel about the other parent. Under no circumstances should you be talking that other parent down to your child, nor should you be bringing up personal business that you have with that person to your child as though your child is an adult. That's inappropriate. That is ruinous of your child. Don't be telling your child your dad, your their father hasn't paid child support. That's your and his business and the court's business is not your child's business. And it's not Facebook's business. Right. That's right. Don't put that stuff out on Facebook either. So listen, don't be putting that because here's the thing. Here's what I know to be true. You keep things at least neutral with regards to the other parent. Like if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. But you be prayerful and make sure that you don't do anything to undermine the other parent. Because here's what I'm telling you. I know it's going to happen because I've seen it happen time and time again. Again, Those kids okay. one day are going to get old enough and they're going to figure it out. They're going to yes. figure it out. They're going to see yes. all they are going to see all the things that you see and they're going to arrive at that conclusion without your help. And listen to me. It's better for you if they arrive at that conclusion by themselves, because that preserves your relationship with your children. 
because I will tell you something, ladies and men, same for it really applies to both sides. If you talk that other person down and they don't deserve that talking down, like the things you're saying are out of anger, not because they're true. Mm -hmm. These children grow up and see the real Dan and they are going to hold this against you. This this is going to be a major issue between you and them. As you as they get older, they will lose respect for you. They want nothing to do with you. Don't you dare give in to the temptation of putting down that other parent. Even listen, even if the things that you're saying are true, it makes you look bad. It's a violation of Ephesians four twenty nine. And when all is said and done. You listen to me, the kids will have much more respect for you because then later on, when they see what you saw, they'll be like, Oh, okay, I get it. And they will respect you because you kept your tongue and instead you spoke, you dealt with it in a godly manner. Trust me on this, ladies. I've seen it time and time again. I have seen it time and time again. You do not want to talk about your ex or the other parent like he's a dog. Uh, you want to be, listen to me, godly in what comes out of your mouth because um, in the end, your kids, as they grow up, they will figure it out. They'll see the truth. Or and, talking about the step-parent as well, the new yeah, wife, the new yes, husband. Yes, because yes. the kids will grow up to see. And yeah. yeah, and see, and, and it, it works. Here's the thing. If they grow up and see that you were right in how you felt about that person and even the step per, the step-parent, if they grow up and see you were right, their, their respect for you will increase because they were like, wow, mom could have told me all this stuff and she didn't. She was cool about it. Yeah, that's mom. Mom is all right. But if they grow up and see that you weren't truthful, that you were just talking out of spite and envy and anger, and you said things that were not true either about your spouse and the new step parent, when they grow up and they're like, wait, this ain't what mom said about them. And all of a sudden, their respect goes down. And and trust me, I've seen mothers who have lost their children as adults are like, you know what, mom, you were. I don't want anything to do with you. So let me trust me on this one. You want to be godly in how you talk about your ex and how you talk about anyone who is who is with your ex. And here's my thing: uh, if even if they are deserving of negative commentary, keep it to yourself. Remember Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth, but only that that will build others up, that they may benefit from it if they listen to it. Do not bring these complaints. Do not talk to your kids about inappropriate topics and inappropriate in terms of age. Uh, don't tell your kids about the fact that their dad's not paying child support. Again, that's between you and him and the courts. Don't involve the kids. It's ruinous to them. Do you understand? You are you are actually hurting them in a way that will last decades beyond when you spoke the words. Yeah. You have been warned. Yeah. So whether they're working or not, you know, what if they're laid off or, you know, out of work for a season that does not stop their love for their children. I don't understand how money and love. I, I don't know who decided that that goes hand in hand. Well, people fall on hard times, right? Right. Ramona, here's the thing, though. It's really not about the money. Oftentimes it, it's about um, control. It, power. It, well, it's it's about both of those things as tools for anger that, that there's. Listen, one of the things that's true <laughs> is just because you divorce someone don't mean you stop loving them. And oftentimes when divorce happens, the person who's left behind and sometimes both people left behind 
are left behind with a feeling of having been rejected. Especially if the other person is the one who moved out of the house. Um, because then you're like, what's wrong with me? Is there something the matter to me? Am I too fat? Am I ugly? Am I not attractive enough? And when you have those feelings, there's a lot of ways that those feelings manifest themselves. They manifest themselves in self-deprecation. You engage in behavior that is um, uh, is non-respectful of you. This is why, for example, a lot of women, after they get divorced, they end up with jerks because they think this is all, obviously I had a good husband and he didn't want me. So I have to accept whatever refuse the world has to throw my way. No, girl, you a queen. Treat yourself like a queen. You hold out and only, only involve yourself with a man who, first of all, loves the Lord. And second of all, is going to love you like he loves the Lord. And third of all, he's going to love your children like he loves you and the Lord. That's what you settle for. You don't settle for anything else. But sisters will do that because they feel so when you feel rejected, you feel like there was something wrong. I must be a loser. I must. There's something must be wrong with me. Another way that that manifests itself is with anger. And boy, when someone is bitter and angry and that, you know, this is why, listen, man. I've been is there, Angel. I've been that bitter, <laughs> angry woman and, and now I'm not. And yeah. I can see how ugly that was and uncalled yeah. for. And yeah, I've, and, 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 and yeah. but here's the thing. This is why in the book of Hebrews, it said, do not allow the root of, do not allow bitterness to take root. This is exactly why, because you so mad, you just, Boy, you just take glee in doing and saying anything that will make life hard. You make it hard for them. You know, you don't have the kids ready when you said that he was supposed to pick them up. He comes at two o'clock and you still ain't got the kids ready because you enjoy making him wait. You enjoy the inconvenience you're causing him. Or he's a little late because he had a flat tire. He had to change the flat tire. And now you're out there calling the cops talking about he was supposed to bring my kids back. He don't kidnap them. I mean, it's just the games that people play are heartbreaking. They, they are heartbreaking because it, all it does in the end, ladies, let me tell you this, whether you want to hear this or not, it's on you. But all of these games in the end, it does much more destruction to the children than it does to, to the other person, to the other person, because it makes, them, it makes them feel unloved. Or here's what's worse. You're teaching them how to be jerks. Let's be honest about it. You are teaching them how to be terrible people. You are showing them when you don't get your way, when you feel like someone's hurt you, don't go and pray to the Lord and ask Jesus for patience. Don't go to God and ask God for answers. No, just be a terrible person. Say terrible things. Do terrible things. Be hard to get along with because obviously that's what it says in the Bible, doesn't it? No, it's not what it says in the Bible. What does it say? It, say, it says if someone, if your enemies slap you, give them the other cheek. It says love your enemies. In fact, it says take care of your enemies, feed them, so that by doing so you heap coals on them. You, you make them feel bad because they've treated you like garbage, and here you are showing them, okay, as a queen of the Lord, as a, as a princess, as a daughter of God, as a son of God, I'm going to treat you the way Jesus would in this instance. And, and here's my thing. A lot of times you're reluctant to do it because you don't get the immediate results you want, delayed gratification. Sometimes it takes God a while to convict another person. And I've seen people who had ugly divorces and years later have come back 
with great regret and express the regret over all that behavior, mm -hmm. especially because when all was said and done, they never stopped loving that other person. Right. And the years have gone by, you wasted time. And then what happens if that person passes and, and, and now it's too late. Yeah. You've taken away you've time, chance, valuable time from your kids. That yeah. They could have knew their parent. Yeah. Like I always think about that, you know, God yeah. forbid. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's absolutely true. And so my thing, my thing is, you know what? God's preference is still that we stay married and that it be a father and a mother under a roof raising the kids. That's God's preference. That is the biblical standard. But because we are fallen people living in a fallen world, uh, it means that that's, that standard will not always be lived out. But Lisa, listen, even in brokenness, even in discord, even in divorce, even in, in all of that, there are still godly ways for us to conduct ourselves. And we, listen, if you call yourself a child of the Most High, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you and I, we are obligated to live by a different system of rules, not by what the world does. And here's the last thing I'll say is if you, if you were married to someone who they really listen to me, they are really hell bent on making your life miserable because, because listen to me, there's a sister listening to this right here. You married that guy. He is uh, he is completely bent on making your life hard, will not cooperate. He's stubborn, all of that stuff. Pray. But I also say that at some point you've got to use the Matthew 18 procedure. And if he's insisting on behaving this way, you've got to get the law involved there. These are people who will not listen. Stubborn people like this. They, the Bible describes them as mules that you've got to put in harnesses and beat to get them to do what they're supposed to do. And I'm here, I'm going to say that's the same for a woman as well. Yeah. The opposite situation. Oh, yeah. So men, if you have an ex-wife that is abusive, yeah. that is manipulating, that is like she don't, she's not quiet. She's like, <laughs> yeah. well, again, she's, Everything that you said for the man, I'm going to right. say for the women, because I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a man hater. No, no. But from life experience in right. 51 years, okay, we're quick to point it out in the men, but we don't point it out in the women. Yeah. And there's women just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, you're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right about that. No, there's no question. And I've had I've had the reverse, by the way. I mean, I've had um, you know, a situation of uh um a husband who really, you know, he's, uh, let me put it to you this way. The situation in his household was such that the court had no problem, took no time deciding he's the one who needed to have the kids and he's raising these kids by themselves. And his ex was just making and guess what? miserable. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I've seen plenty of fathers successfully raise their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 The one particular man I have in mind, Wonderful father. I mean, he just did a great job with his kids and really just, I am proud to know him as a man. Uh, just, just trusted the Lord through the whole process. And as difficult as everything was on him and the kids, these kids have grown up to be beautiful human beings. And, uh, and as, and I think they did it because dad stood in the gap and did what he had to, even though mom was, she was off the rails. Yeah, we know a lot of those mothers that are off the rails. Yeah, so yeah, we know a lot of them. It can go either way. Yeah, it can go either way. So I just want to say, 
Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Angel, it's been a joy, a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I know at some point we're going to want to come back and touch on some other things such as blended, um, you know, families. And but but today has just been hopefully an eye opener to many that it can be done. Yeah, if it can you do it the correct way. If right. the two of you can put your differences aside and realize mm -hmm. that these children did not ask to be brought into this world. You brought them. And so now you have to do what you're called as a parent to do and is mm -hmm. raise them as best as possible. Not what you and your little brain thinks because you don't like your ex anymore. Right. No, it's what the kids need and it can be done. Exactly. And if you're exactly. not a Christ follower, Angel, and you're watching today, you can become a Christ follower. Angel, will you lead someone in prayer today? Yeah, if absolutely. You're saying, you know what? I don't know the Lord. I want what you have. Amen. Pastor Angel. Can you lead them in prayer today? Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be my honor. So listen, if if you're a person who's been impressed with this teaching, you see that, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that the uh, I didn't know the Bible talked about all these practical things. Um, you can you can have this knowledge and this wisdom. Um, what the word of God says is that all, all it requires is for you to have faith in Jesus Christ and to confess uh, that he was raised from the dead. And it says you will be saved. And uh, and and then once you have once you say that, once you express that faith, the, the Bible says that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You become a new creature and it gives you the ability to understand his word in ways that most people in the world do not understand it. So let me lead you in prayer. And remember that it's not the words, but it's the intent of your heart and what you confess with your mouth. OK, so let's let's pray together. If this is you, just say this, Lord. Through this teaching that I heard today on co-parenting, I see uh, that I live too much like the world, that I have bought into the world's system of doing things and that things are terrible in my life because I have done so. And so, Father, I repent. I am sorry for the way I've lived, but I'm more than sorry. I want to live a different way. I want to live in a way that these people talked about in this word. And so today, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior, and I commit to follow him for the rest of my life because I believe what the Bible says, that he was risen from the dead, that he died on the cross to take my sins, and that as a result of being risen from the dead, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and I now have the Holy Spirit to help me live life according to your word. And so I ask for all of this today in the matchless name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so, and so the word of God says, if you said this prayer, you have crossed the line from unbelief to belief. And believe it or not, there is a party going on right now in heaven. It says that the angels will rejoice because you said this prayer. And if you did, just leave us a comment. Let us know that you said the prayer. You know why? Because we want to rejoice with you and we yeah. want to pray for you. Yes, yes. And get plugged into a church where they're teaching the word of God, mm -hmm. <laughs> not mm -hmm. their opinion. And please get into a church that will disciple you because you need to be discipled. Mm -hmm. um, you're not a lone ranger Christian. You're supposed to be at church, getting into the word of God and being discipled. And so get plugged in somewhere. If you are wherever you are and you don't know of any churches, send us a message. Angel and I will look at what state you're at and you know we'll throw you some, mm -hmm. some churches that you can go look and you have to see 
that is a fit for you and for your family and your situation. And so, um, Angel, thank you so much. Um, it's been a joy, a pleasure, honor to be able to just hear um, from you something that you not only um, are teaching today, but you live this. Mm-hmm. You put this in practice based on the word of God. Yeah. And, uh, and you've been successful. And I can see that in my niece and in my nephew. Um, and so, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being an amazing father, for me being an amazing husband. Um, I know a lot you have learned from the word of God, from our heavenly father, but a lot of your characteristics um, are from dad. And um, I see dad was an amazing father. He wasn't perfect, but he was an amazing father. He loved his children. And I thank God that we have him today and that we're able to connect with him as adults in such a different, cool way. Um, wow. You know, yeah. just talking to him yesterday and him saying how he loves the way you guys say goodbye to each other uh, brought tears to my eyes. Um, and I know I text you about that. Um, it was amazing. Mm. And every son should have the right to have that relationship with their father. Every daughter mm. should have the right to have that relationship with their mother. That should not no. be taken away from them because they have an angry mother or angry father uh, mm. and vice versa. Um, mm. And so I praise God for your life. I praise God for your ministry. Angel, you mentioned the book earlier today um, that you wrote that they can, can you let the audience know where they can find that book and what the title of the book was? Yeah. So the title of the book is The Success Continuum and it's available on Amazon is the best place to get it. Uh, In fact, what I'll do after we're done is I will put a link to it in the comments section and you can get to it. Now there is a a first edition um, that, um, I think it's still available, but I, I would prefer you get the second edition. I think uh, I, I was able to improve some things in it. And, and it really talks to you about what the successful life looks like. Uh, but it also has a lot of resources uh, that it points you to if you want to go deeper on any of the areas. It has questions that it asks you. And um, I really tried to make it something that was very um, accessible, very easy to read. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm just going to go real quick to the comments on her before I let you go. Um, Cynthia Lopez says blessings cousin. So Cynthia is our cousin from our dad's side of the family. Uh, Hi, Cynthia's Cynthia. Father, yeah. Cynthia's father and my dad are cousins. Um, her grandmother and our grandpa are siblings. And so she's watching. We love you, Cindy. Um, Janice says, praise God. This is good. So many families can benefit from discussion. Yes, Janice, and this is why Angel and I decided to do this today. Um, when we do these talks, um, it's not for fame, it's not for glory, it's not for numbers. It's one, to bring you a biblical perspective on the situation. I think there are some churches that are not talking about these topics, and this was the whole reason Girlfriends Talking was birthed. Um, your story matters. And there are parents out there that that need this help and don't know where to get it. Um, And so thank you for watching. She says, too many children being talked to like they're adults than paying the price when disrespectful as children. Yes, we, we, as adults, sometimes I heard someone the other day, she was telling me she was frustrated with a situation with her spouse's children. And we tend to talk to children like they're adults and they are not adults. We expect them to understand an adult situation when we ourselves don't know how to 
handle an adult situation? Why would we expect children to understand it, right? So we got to remember that they're children. And so we have to talk to them yeah. as children. Okay, can, can I just say something real quick? Um, think about the fact that for me, one of the things that clarified fatherhood for me was when I became a Christian, because one of the ways that God describes himself in his relationship to us is as our father. And so whatever rules he has for us as his children, those are the rules we should have between us and our children. And what's one of the things that God uh, does? God doesn't reveal everything uh, at the beginning doesn't reveal everything all the time. In fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, uh, the mysterious things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to you and your children uh, uh, forever. And so the whole point is there are things that kids are not supposed to know, right? One of the stories I often tell real quickly is um, I remember a day when we went to this party and had to be rushed out and then some days later, being home from school and seeing our parents dressed in black. And I had no idea what all, what all that was about. It wasn't until I became an adult and did a 10-hour drive with my dad to Chicago when I found out this was a party where a woman found out her husband was having an affair. And sadly, her reaction to it was to take her life in the bathroom when the house was full of people. So we were in that house. We got rushed out. And then the obviously the being dressed as black was when they attended her funeral. And I we had no idea. Now imagine you don't tell your kids about that kind of stuff. They can't handle it. You know, and so uh, and so of course I find out, you know, once I'm in my late 40s and I'm on this drive with dad, I say, like, hey dad, I remember that this and this happened. What what was going on? And he filled in the details. Why? Because now I'm a man and I can handle those details. So, yes, you, there are some things we don't need to be talking to our parents about. I mean, to Jenny our children says, about. Absolutely. Jenny says, we can't forget that these children really belong to the Lord and he's entrusted us, them to us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. We're stewards. We're not owners. We're stewards. Yeah. It so it's like, this is my child. I've had him alone for nine months. And, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Man, let me remind you that was part of a whole curse thing back in Gen uh, Genesis three. Okay, so you know, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't brag about that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, he's my babies. I gave them life, yeah, so I'm no, going to say what no, I'm going to do, and no, the daddy can't say nothing. No, God <laughs> gave them. God gave them life. That's yeah. all. You ain't give them life. God gave Amen. them life. Amen. 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 Jenny says, I can relate with the little girls who don't have a relationship with their father. And my father was married to my mom and in the home. Yeah. No, it goes back to the whole thing. We were talking about fatherhood. And, it, you know, you can't, um, a, a, a father is not a father simply because you're present in a home. You've got to be engaged with your children and your wife. You have to be emotionally engaged with your um, your children and your wife. And that means, uh, you know, making them a priority. So, for example, again, you know, once I came home, my thing wasn't to, you know, just drop my briefcase and immediately go sit down in front of the TV or pick up the newspaper. My thing was I'm going to kiss and hug everybody who's home. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so yeah. and then here's the other thing. When I was in a situation where I often was home first and my uh, ex got home, I met her at the door and uh, with a hug and a kiss, because that is what a husband does. You're supposed to engage your family. You're supposed to be in conversation with them. And too many men, um, 
you know, don't they they're still tied to that old mindset that you're a good father if you keep a roof over their head, clothes on their back, and food on the table, bro. They they need so much more from you. And in fact, I actually one of the things I'm I'm trying to make time in my schedule for is I actually want to take a course I did called Biblical Manhood that I created, and I actually want to put that in a video format and make it available for people to purchase. Do that, Angel. That's much needed. And I have mad respect for men because I have sat down and I've thought about that. Wait a minute. Men have a big responsibility, ladies. Let's step back and say, you know, what it is. It's they have a big responsibility. They have to work. They have to provide for the home. They have to be there for their children. They have to be there from you for you. That's a huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I cut them some slack, sisters, because yeah. this is not like for you to come at them like, you know, you Pastor Al has said you got to be doing that. <laughs> like, yeah, no. Cut them no. some slack, work with them, right? So how's the environment when they come home from work? Are you waiting for them at the door to explode of everything negative that went in your day? Because guess what? I used to be that way until my husband was like, you know what, honey? Can you just give me some time to just enjoy my kids and chill and relax from my stressful hard work day before you bring these things to me? And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, that makes sense. By, right? by, the, by the way, I can, I, can I point to another resource? Please if do. You, if you go on YouTube, and uh, in the search engine, you put Bishop T.D. Jakes and then he motions the word emotions with H in front of it. Um, I strongly recommend, sisters, that you listen to that message because he motions was based. He, he eventually published it as a book, but he would do this talk as a men's only talk. In fact, you want to look for a particular one. It's the one that he did at Eddie Bishop Long's church, which is New Birth in Atlanta. And the I reason I'll tell you is this. He would only do this talk for men. And then something in his spirit, when he did it there, he said, no, you know what? I think I want women to attend this too, that women need to hear this. Because I think it gives you deep insight into um, men, how we kind of are wired and how best to relate to us. And I thought to me, it, it, it's so powerful. It is actually one of the homework assignments that I give to couples who I'm uh, working with in pre-marriage counseling, that they have to watch emotions because it, it will give you everything in terms of you know how they're wired. The other one I would actually tell you to look at, since I'm I'm in the middle of, of doing all these recommendations, is Pastor Mark Gunger, G U N G O R, and he does this talk. Um, it, it's part of a, a a weekend conference called Laughing Your Way to a Better Marriage. He does this whole thing on the two brains, where based on research on how men's brains work and women's brains work. It is hilarious, but it is also so instructive because, again, it goes to why men do what men do and why women do what women do. And listen to me, if you're divorced or if you're co-parenting and you never heard this kind of information before, I would tell you to go ahead and still watch it because yes. it'll give you insight into why that guy is the way he is or why that woman is the way she is. And uh, it might soften your heart a little bit in terms of 
how you come to a co-parenting agreement with them. And let me just throw this out there. I, uh, I understand and Angel understands that many of you did not grow up in a healthy, godly marriage. And that you have come to pick up some habits that you saw in your home that you thought they were okay. You saw your mom throwing pots and pans at your at your father, throwing shoes, and now you know, and you're doing that, or you saw a mother that was angry or a father that was angry. We understand that you didn't have all the tools, but please do not use that as an excuse to not be able to learn now and move forward so you could do better. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have Good to word. repeat the unhealthy patterns that you saw growing up. Good word. It's not an excuse because one day we're all going to be accountable to the Lord mm-hmm. and what we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and in that light, just remember this. That's why the word of God says that when you say yes to Jesus, you are you are to remove your old self and put on your new self. That's Ephesians chapter four. Take off your old self and put on your new self. We're not supposed to be like our parents were back when we saw all that ugly stuff. We are supposed to be new creatures and we are supposed to reflect the love of Christ in everything we do. And if you're a man and you're saying, I don't want to be like my father, good. You don't have to be like your father. That can change today. And if you're saying, I don't want to be like my mother, good. You're not going to be like your mother. That can change today. So we're going to put the resources um, when we're done that Angel spoke about. As we get more resources, we'll be putting them on our page. Feel free to come back at any time and keep updated. Angel, I love you. I could talk to you for hours. I always walk away smarter, um, feeling like I've learned so many things. um, And and it's just amazing. And so if I'm feeling that way, I'm sure that our uh, viewers are. And so I love you. God bless you. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell um, my beautiful sister-in-law, Wendy, thank you for um, taking that time away um, on a Sunday uh, to spend with me. I love her and I look forward to the next vacation. All right, sis. Take care of yourself. Don't and hang up. On Facebook, good, good to do this for you. God bless Don't you. Don't hang up real quick while I end the broadcast. Uh, girlfriends talking, thank you for uh, spending your afternoon with us on co-parenting effectively. Hopefully it was a blessing. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, please address them via messenger and I will respond as quickly as possible. We love you with the love of Christ. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless.